Welcome to Big 20, a roundtable discussion where GMs from all walks of life discuss gaming and field questions from viewers. Hosts this week are... Hello, I'm Scrim. Uh, you can find me often on the Shadowcasters Network doing various shows, and uh, that's about it. <laughs> I'm Chad. I'm from FearTheBoot.com. And I'm Pedro, the GM and creator of the World Walkers Universe, a series of podcasts you can find wherever you find podcasts. This week, we are talking about playing with intrigue. Which I think is super fascinating. I want to know, uh, first off, I'm interested what the chat thinks um, about intrigue in general. Like, where do they, uh, like, what do they define as intrigue for their games? And I'm also curious from everyone else here, like, what do you think is, uh, like, one of the keys to success in your intrigue games? Because I feel like for me, as funny as it may sound, as simple as it comes off, I feel like letting your players know you're about to run a game that is leaning towards or completely about intrigue helps a lot. Because if they don't know that we're trying to dig into and discover things, uh, sometimes that leaves them uh, confused as to why we're not moving forward in the plot. Like <laughs> if they don't know this is a game about exploring the, the concepts and, and aspects of the story, they might just end up spending a lot of time arguing amongst themselves, what should be done instead of helping to everyone working together to move the plot forward. But I'm, I'm curious what you all think. It's hard for me to even think of a, a game that I would either run or play where there is no mystery. Uh, and that could be anything from like, you know, Scooby-Doo sort of mystery, mystery to just the sort of cosmic mystery and, and not knowing who the bad is and, and why things are happening in a general sense and interacting with the world to discover and, and, and make things known. Um, it's hard for me to even visualize what a game without mystery would be like, mm -hmm. uh, other than, you know, kicking down doors and stealing goblin stuff after you kill them time after time after time. Uh, yeah, I mean, cause I was even about to say, or my counterpoint would be like, or like even like a romance thing like monster hearts, but even then monster hearts is mystery. You don't know if the succubus in your chemistry class wants to have sex with you or not. You don't know. Does the, does the werewolf boy in gym really like you or does he really <laughs> like other boys? And it, it kind of, there's, there's mystery even there. It's just a, a sort of interpersonal type of mystery. I think the um, intrigue is what the hell is monster hearts? You don't know what monster hearts is? <laughs> no, it sounds like a spinoff of kingdom hearts. I'm sorry to interrupt. I just, that's okay. I, I, I'm also unfamiliar. I was like, what? You, yeah. You, is, monster is hearts the is CW's next show. Monster hearts is a role playing. It, it is kind of in a way it's kind of like Smallville, not the role playing game, but it, it's, it's that sort of Dawson's Creek, Smallville sort of theme, but you play teenagers going to high school. And you are a monster. Well, I have like this one, yes. Vampire. And, and the list of monsters you can play is enormous. Anything from werewolves, vampires, fishmen, demons, angels, succubus, like blob creature. I mean, any, I mean, I'm not talking there's, oh, well, there's like 10 character classes. No, there's like a hundred. <laughs> I mean, there's right. like, and people just keep making more and more and more for them. 
but the whole thing is not I'm you're you're Michael J. Fox playing Teen Wolf surfing on top of a van. It's not. It is not. Well, I think you could do that, right? <laughs> I mean, if you want to, I mean, because maybe you're trying to impress girls, but I mean, it's Monster Hearts. It's it's like romance amongst monsters. There's there's like your high school, you're awkward, you're going through puberty, and you're a werewolf, and you know it, it's about relationships and such. A lot of the the character classes have moves or maneuvers that are based on sex and relationships and such. To be honest with you, it is not my kind of game. Uh, <laughs> I, I played it once. I have a hard time with with romance in role playing games. It can be. It can be weird. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, oh, my character loves the NPC. I mean, is in love, like romantic love, wants to marry them, wants to pursue them, and then I look over at my friend Wayne who is a handsome man with a big red beard <laughs> and I am not gay. And I look right in his eyes and say, I love you. And it just doesn't, it, it just doesn't work for me. Other people can do it. Other people, it's great. And that that's awesome. But monster hearts just for me is like, I don't. <laughs> that's eh. fair. That's <laughs> I, fair. I tried it. Didn't like it. So anyway, your topic, Eric is monster hearts and sex and role-playing games, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I like what uh, Sheen Sasquatch, maybe, uh, <laughs> said in chat, uh, strong NPCs with strong motivations. I think that is absolutely 100% required for any kind of good intrigue. Um, and then I would add to it to say that you have to have a strong connection to them. You have to have stakes. You have to have a, um, a horse in the game. Because if, uh, you know, it, it's more of a movie if you're just watching these strong NPCs with strong motivations, um, so as a player, you got to bring that to the table. Like I care about what happens to, uh, the Duke, uh, and his, his campaign to save all of the children. I don't know. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a terrible, don't use that. To, to wipe all the monsters out of high school because they're freaky sex monsters. There we go. There we go. That's a Duke I can get behind. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, having, making the stakes matter for, for your group. Um, and I feel like I talk about this every time I'm on here that we, it always goes back to the players giving you their backstory and giving you something to talk about. Um, but, uh, but it is pretty key. Well, and, yeah. and it is absolutely key. And I think it hits on, you know, it's like strong NPCs are strong motivations. The reason why you have strong NPCs, strong motivations is so that when you're running the game, you don't have to sit there and go, oh, gnomish bartender. Does he care? They're in a fight in his bar. I really got to think about this. No, you have an NPC. He's no much bartender. He loves his bar. He, he's really OCD about it. You wrote like two, three paragraphs on him. No, he's getting on the, on the bar and yelling at the PCs. The same, though, is true for the PCs. They have to have decent characters and histories and such. They don't have to be decent people at all. They can be sex monsters. So. It works, but they have to have motivations that the game master knows about and understands, especially when it comes to intrigue, because intrigue is mystery. And it isn't about this obscure knowledge. It's about getting the characters to care about the obscure knowledge and want to make it known. They want to know about it. 
just going through the paces of I roll investigate, I roll perception, I kick down this door, I question this guy. Okay, now I know the next plot hook. Move on. No one's having fun that game. It, it's it's understanding motivations, understanding why people care, and then presenting a mystery that they can come into, that they can care about and, and move towards. That's why it's really difficult for me to envision a game without intrigue. I mean, depending on your definition of intrigue, like I said, that's, if you're... That's what I was starting off yeah. with, is like, what yeah. is... Because when I came in, I, I, I told the group, I was like, I don't really know what we're talking about. Like, are we playing Clue? Mm-hmm. Or exactly. are we talking about like levels of intrigue versus an intrigue based campaign. See, like, this is why Eric is such a sadist of a host is because mm-hmm. he does not say, okay, well, we're talking about spies like wilderness of mirrors. And we're talking intrigue in a modern day setting. How would you write? No, he's like intrigue. It's not so much an outline. <laughs> it's just a line and we're right. on the other side and we're on Twitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have a question for you both. How do you, and this, this might be tough to answer because it is often dependent on the system, but how do you mechanically incorporate intrigue? Do you mm. have ways of, you know, making a charisma roll count in a different way? You count points. Do you have like, okay, good. They, they talked to this guy. Oh, and this, this bartender gave them this bit of information. Do you keep track of that kind of thing? I I personally feel um, very very strongly about the fact that like when I I think sometimes okay I'll put it this way when when I ask someone to make a strength check in a game I don't see what their uh, sit up game is like I don't mm-hmm. make them do push ups if they have to do an acrobatics based check I don't see if they can backflip so I try to be very proactive about asking for investigation type checks and stuff like that. Because I think sometimes what can happen um, is that we, we try to force our players. I mean, none of us here, we're all perfect, but like um, (laughs) there's, there's a real like um, enticing thing where we will uh, try to make our players as smart as their characters. And we almost punish them if they're not. So like Mm -hmm. someone comes in and they're like, you know, in D and D terms, like a uh, off the chart intelligence, and they are so they specialize in all this stuff, and then we're like, okay, look around the room, what do you <laughs> see? And like, I know that like some of these games really encourage players to say what they're doing, and then we ask for the appropriate role. But I feel very strongly that there, when it comes to um, things that they have to suss out, figure out. I feel that it, it helps so much to be proactive in asking for the roles. That way you can keep things moving. And if things aren't moving, then it's time for leading questions or just forcing the role because mm. it's so easy to sit back and go like, <laughs> you guys aren't as smart as the bird's eye view, huh? <laughs> as with the bird's eye view, we just can't always see right. what they're not. Yeah. can't predict what they're not going to notice. They come in sure. and you've got like a, you've got a, um, a precariously tipped glass of uh previous scotch. And then also a collection of swords in the, cause he was a weapons collector. I don't give a shit about that. What's important is the glass. And they're like, well, what kind of swords? Yeah. Like, yeah. Fuck, I don't know, man. Like <laughs> sharps. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like an 18th century Baroque? Or a, that helps what? them too. They're like, they're like, oh, okay, stores don't matter. Okay. Because uh, you don't know <laughs> what they're fumbling for that one. In. Yeah, you really don't. You really don't. Or like if one person asks about something and the next one goes, oh, that's a good point. You're like, no, it's not. <laughs> what about the scotch? Like, so I'm very, very like hardcore about trying to be proactive and, um, asking about roles and also like try to give them the leading questions or even like tell them I've had to do this recently. Like, well, here's something you should, you'd probably think about as somebody who's been from this area for a long time, what might stick in your mind yeah, like that? Cause they, that's the big one for me too, is advocating for the player. Like I think too many game masters sit on this thrown and then their players are out in front of them like a court and then they just throw out missives and you expect them to do things and that is not how to do it at all i mean it's a scrum and you're in there too yeah you also have a dual job of running the world and the fairness and the rules and all that but i absolutely want to get down in the trenches with them and that like there's a scene let's just say murder mystery i mean it's intrigue right murder mystery you got your spilt over scotch you got the swords that they are weirdly preoccupied with that don't mean anything and nobody's asking where the body is and it's like you let them you have to give them a chance to succeed you also have to give them a chance to fail so Mm -hmm. if they're not asking the right questions like okay there's blood everywhere the room's been tossed there's the scotch that's tipped over but you know that the guy who's dead or missing or something isn't a drinker and yeah. so, you know, it's like, here, here's some clues to kind of get them going and thinking. And they, they might tell you, well, I'm looking at this. I'm looking at, I want, I want to look at the swords at, after a little bit, it's okay to say, you know what? You're not really finding anything's with the swords. You, you know, you have to make them not roll for that too, because the example with the swords is I want to look at the swords. I want to roll my investment. I want to lo- roll my bardic sword knowledge like fine do it they roll and they (laughs) fail and for the entire rest of the game they think that the swords are important that they just missed the role Mm -hmm. you don't want them to think that so you have to out of character say you it's not i'm there with you love the enthusiasm on the swords it ain't the swords yeah you're missing one thing what do you think you're missing here and they're like they go through it like they know okay is this a murder scene well the whole room's tossed there's blood everywhere there's this and that there's weapons on the floor there's smoking guns but what isn't there mm-hmm. mm. and they might throw some stuff around at that point maybe they get it and if they don't you just look at them and go where's the body yep and then you you kind of lead them in with that you, you help them out you have to drop clues and then see if they get them. And then you play a shell game when they miss the clue, not if, when they miss the clues, you rearrange the clues in different places. They look Mm -hmm. because they have to get the clues. It isn't about rolling and failing and it isn't about them missing stuff. It is about the story you're trying to tell and they need this information. Yeah. Everything else is just trapping. Maybe they like rolling dice on their skills. Maybe they like asking questions and stuff. And that's all great. Your goal at the end of the day is to get 
them the information to go on. So as you look at the swords, you smell the spilled <laughs> scotch and <laughs> think about right, it right. one more time. <laughs> yeah, it's like as you turn to the sword, the um, the reflection of the scotch, <laughs> like for real, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like slip on the puddle of scotch. <laughs> well, because you don't want to treat them like an idiot. Like you said, you, you, with, ooh, not, not so clear with the thousand eye view here. It, you, you don't want to treat them like an idiot by saying, right. guys, Where's the fucking body? The scotch, <laughs> you didn't drink. What, what the hell? Swords? Are you kidding me? Because yeah. you know what that means? That means that the next room you have, the next scene you have where they need to investigate, they will ask nothing and they will just start rolling yeah. until y- you give it to them. So I think um, them. I think that uh, this might be something <laughs> where we could take a cue from video games because and I think Dragon Age does a good job of this. You get into some big palace or you're looking for uh, to deal with some mystery um, and you have maybe three or four things you have to do, people you have to talk to, your, how you make your decisions, whatever you say to these people will affect what happens later on. There's usually some big showdown or some big reveal or whatever. Um, and And a lot of video games will essentially highlight the places you have to see yeah right they got their little sparkles or glows or outline or whatever so you have you kind of know like all right this is going to be important this is going to be important and then what matters is not the searching what matters is the mystery so you collect your clues and that takes you not too long um but you know you have to you have to kind of go around and think about it at least a little bit uh and then the the real work is in putting it all together and that's I think putting it together is more fun than looking for all the clues. Uh, that's why CSI is so, it's not real CSI because real right, CSI, right. they're just <laughs> sitting in a lab looking at like blood spatters and like hmm. writing mathematical words. Like it's not, it's not anything near like running around with a gun. So. But I think like um, that is why um, Curse of Strahd is such a piece of shit fucking game. Uh, adventure path and i know we're all thinking that and the reason (laughs) is i ran it and towards the beginning i think it's in death house part of the piece of shit known as curse of strahd um the only way forward is to find a secret door and the secret door requires a perception of one like a, a certain number and my players couldn't hit it and i am a passive aggressive little bitch when it comes uh-huh. to published adventures because if i have to buy it it should work out of the box i know that i'm alone in this i am objectively wrong <laughs> <laughs> um i am an island I know this, but that's how I am. I write games all the time. I'm like paid to fucking run games. So if I'm going to buy the game, it has to work out of the box. If I have to change it, I'm not going to hire like a contractor and then get the blueprints out. Be like, all right, what are we doing here? No, he's building the house. So like, same thing. Like, I left it in there because that's the way the game was designed, and I was the asshole because no one had fun. That's important. The very first first role-playing game I ever played, I was 14 years old, and it was the module that Ravenloft later became based on. Mm -hmm. Like, when I was 14, didn't know anything, first role-playing game, whatever. Looking back on, holy crap, that's a piece of shit module. I mean, (laughs) it's Castlevania. It is essentially Castlevania as a model. Module, I don't know which one came first, but... 
yeah, there's some BS in there to say the least. The reason I bring up uh, Curse of Shit is that it <laughs> it does this thing where there's only one path. There's only one way to succeed. And I think that sometimes the best way to lay out any game, whether it's peppered with intrigue or intrigue is the main course, is making sure there's multiple ways to get to the conclusion. And I don't I I personally don't play the shell game. Like I don't mm. keep the idea that like whatever they pick is the way it's going to be. Like, Mm, I don't, mm. that's not, it's for people. It's not for me, Mm -hmm. but I do think that if, when you're writing things out, one of, I think one of the most important tips for, for games, whether you think you're running an intrigue game or not, there should be multiple ways to discover the path. Cause if it's just the bloody knife that's been hidden inside the teddy bear and nobody wants to go in the kid's room because nobody wants to think about how sad it is. This kid's an orphan. You're fucked. Like well, <laughs> two knives. I don't know. Like just <laughs> different ways to get to the conclusion. As a game master, that's the cool thing about about running game is that you don't know what the players will do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, that's kind of the fun for me is that they surprise me. If I only had one way and they came up with this real clever, cool way, I'm going to look at them and say no. I mean, talk about letting the air out of the room. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I get not wanting to do to do the shell game, especially if the clues you're presenting are really integrated into your story, the mystery and the plot and such. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, like you said, it works for some, it, it doesn't work. For yeah, others. yeah. Nothing against it. Just not the style mm-hmm. that I embraced at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that the point is to get the, the chunks of the story to the players. I mean, you, you want to get the information to them, you want them to do things. Sometimes they're specific things, but really they shouldn't be because the specific things are, like you said, the, the Strahd's magic door that you need to make this impossible <laughs> role to even in the module with. The, the, I mean, why are you cutting off content? You wrote it. You thought it up. Why are you keeping it from your players? But you just don't want them to sit there with their mouths open and spoon feed them the story. You want them to interact and have fun. Is the reason you want them to do that because you're a game master who likes seeing people jump through your hoops? Or is the reason you want them to do that because you want them to surprise you? You want them to give them opportunities to be clever. You want them to surprise you. You want them to take the game in new and interesting places. And you just dovetail that with giving them the pieces of the plot and mystery they need to to find out and to understand what is going on itself. Yeah. It's like one of the things I really appreciate about being on here on big 20 and a lot of the stuff, honestly, that uh, Eric does is like, I think shows like this and like honest attempts to put, even though I know I just got done bitching mm-hmm. honest attempts to put like positivity out there really help. Cause there's so many players who encounter just that really crummy GM who, mm. you know, garbage in, garbage out, right? Like a an adversarial GM can create adversarial players that get pissed and they buy their own books and they become adversarial players. It's like this cycle. And so, like, I really think that's super important that I, again, I know I was bitching. I try <laughs> not to, though, or I try to do it in a funny way, at least, because, like, we there's so much room for putting back good vibes and stuff 
out there and talking positively about these things. Like, what should we do? Not don't you hate it when? Like, I like that these don't turn into mm-hmm. predominantly mm-hmm. Uh, grumpy sessions because yeah. it's so much better. Like you, like you're doing, and what we're all trying to do is like just talk about the cool things you can do and get everyone excited because yeah, I, I hear it a lot around this area about GMs who ran and they were just adversarial. They were reading off a sheet and they wouldn't let anyone do anything except for the one thing they wanted. So I'm really glad that like Eric brought this topic up actually, because mm-hmm. it really points to an, a deeper issue, which is like, are you running the game to prove that you're smarter Right. Or are you running the game because you can't wait to see what they're going to do? I um and as a foil to, to what you just said, Pedro, I um I'm the opposite. I like to follow where my players are going. And uh so I will I usually have, you know, some hard and fast things that aren't gonna going to be altered. Yeah. Uh, but if I think they have a better idea than me, sometimes I steal it. Absolutely. if they're like talking with each other and they're like they're like oh well i bet you this is what happens and i'm like oh my gosh that's genius and so then sometimes (laughs) if i haven't planned it too far ahead i'll be like yes (laughs) yes i love that and then they'll be they'll be they'll feel so proud like three sessions later they're like i was right i'm like you sure were buddy (laughs) that's right (laughs) they don't know what's going on behind the scenes and ultimately you're there to make them feel awesome, uh, to yeah. have the good feelings and stuff. It, they don't need to know until, you know, maybe a couple months after the campaign that you completely ripped them off. It's- <laughs> I just too many times, you know, the, you know, when players just derail, do something else. It's, it's great. They'll have fun. We all have fun. It's good. But like you plan something and it gets totally off the, uh, off the rails. Uh, so I eventually, I just started being like, all right, well, you're going to do that. Cool. Let's go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it never crossed my mind. I started reading about it a while ago online. And I was like, huh. I never, <laughs> I, I think that like, since I play in the same universe for the last 20 years, yeah, players yeah. are really like, not to say obsessed, but maybe for lack of, I don't want to spend a bunch of time trying to go through the thesaurus, but like a lot of my players are very interested in the continuity and so I think mm-hmm. because of the type of games I run, they would be sad if I was like lizard folks. Sure, fuck it, whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a different. It's a different thing. Yeah. It's a different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the longest I've ever run a game is probably about a year, maybe really? a little over a year. Yeah. Oh man, we're I, just wrapping up an almost two-year campaign on my Wednesday game. I've played in games that have gone two, three years. I've played in games that have had arcs that have lasted a year or a little bit longer and then have had multiple arcs that long with with breaks in between but i i you know it's fine it's cool i like playing a variety of characters i like playing a variety of settings and systems although with world walkers i mean that's kind of the point i understand from what i understand i kill a lot of players so they get the same opportunities players, you kill just... players dude we're recording <laughs> <laughs> I have one player I mean, who I went mean, through like character. seven characters, and he's still <laughs> he's still paying. So I mean, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, I feel bad, but mm-hmm. didn't stop. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so um, so going back to like the whole intrigue thing, 
Um, do you have any favorite stories? Like when you like either something that was amazing the players broke through, or like like what was your favorite intrigue-based plot? Like not the general, like, you know, where's the wizard, but like have you ever run like a big intrigue based plot and like what, what do you have any favorites my entire last campaign that i ran which was a six-month campaign it wasn't super long or anything it was uh blades in the dark and they were playing assassins and uh so i opened the first uh the, the game opened with them in the middle of an assassination and i gave them no prep no uptime, no questions. They were in media res in the middle of it. And at the point where things suddenly broke down and things were failing and they had to fix it. They didn't know what their, the players did not know what their mission was. The characters did. And I just pinged back and forth, back and forth until a picture emerged for them. And the mystery was they were hired to kill a guy to assassinate him he was being executed on the gallows and they had to execute they had to kill him before he was executed but not make it look like he was murdered yeah and so they had to like make that happen and then when it was all over they were like why would someone want someone killed a full five seconds before they're executed? <laughs> and it wasn't like a thing where they, you know, they get to have their last words and they reveal that, you know, the king made me do it the whole time. Yeah, it wasn't anything like that. It, it, I let them know. I mean, it, it made zero sense at all. And so that was, that was the question. And I didn't know because we had never played with these characters before and it was, we had some new people in the group. I didn't know if they would care about why it didn't make any sense at all. And that was a mystery chase this down. Why did this happen? And they ended up chasing it down. And part of that was because they need to get paid. And so they, they, they kind of were talking about it and I'm like, I'm not quite sure they're fully hooked in yet. And so I made sure that the guy who was going to pay him didn't show up. (laughs) Well, now they really fucking care why more really where the hell's my money. Uh, But in that, the guy who was supposed to pay him got murdered, not by them. And so they came upon a murder scene. And so the mystery deepened, right? What was really weird about it is that it's on a college campus. It's this professor's office. They go in, and his office has been tossed. There's a dead body, obviously murdered. There's an open window. There's muddy footprints all around, and then leading out the window, literally a muddy footprint on, because it's first floor, on the window pane going out, and muddy footprints. They did not follow the footprints. I literally <laughs> had footprints going to the murderer. Uh, not everybody. Not everybody is uh, is uh, a detective, I guess. Yeah. And you never no, they, know what they hear with the whole table going right. on and stuff. You never yeah. know if they're yeah. like, "There's a footstep." And it's like, "Yeah, that'd be nice if there was a footstep." Anyway, so I'll take a foot long timer. <laughs> they. But you, you, we were talking about like the shell game earlier. That's what I had to do in that situation. I had to do the yeah, shell yeah. game yeah. because 
they they did not follow it and i couldn't i i was so wound up that i couldn't <laughs> say fucking footprints without making them sound like idiots so because they were because they didn't follow the fucking footprints but they they didn't follow it and so i had to have the murderer they're, they're like okay well now we're curious and we want our money so we're gonna go to this guy's apartment okay Whoop. murderers at the apartment but hiding I on the balcony. I hope you have a soundboard for that. <laughs> <laughs> During your games. He's like hiding on the balcony. He's like, you know, uh, I had to come up to, oh, maybe there were, uh, uh, there, a clue appears in the plot, unbeknownst to anyone, including myself, that the, the murderer is now trying to extract from the apartment. And then they kind of show up at the same time. And I'm thinking, okay, they're going to go in the apartment. These are seasoned role players, right? You get in there, you toss the place, you look for secret doors, you you open every cupboard, you look. Nope, that's not what they did. They walked in, looked at the guy's diary where I had a couple of more clues, didn't open up any closets, didn't check under any beds, didn't know. I'm like, oh my God. They found out that this guy had a, an apprentice. Let's go check the apprentice's apartment. Oh my God. Whoop! Murder is now at the apprentice's apartment <laughs> in the living room. You see him when you walk in the front door. And then finally, oh, you got him. You guys are so smart. <laughs> <laughs> so I have an example, but it is not mine. But I'm stealing it because it's genius. Uh, so um, my GM uh, on Join the Anarchy, Oz, um, he... A totally different game not not with me he set up this this whole crazy intrigue game they, they were playing for like 10 hours or something but the the upshot of it was he brought his characters to a big fancy party and it was kind of red wedding kind of setting where it was suddenly revealed that everybody who had eaten the food had been poisoned and so every single one of his pcs was poisoned every single npc there was poisoned and uh and then they're their job was to find an antidote and then he gave them something like 10 of them or whatever. So they then had to choose who lived and died. So they had, you know, kind of two levels, this big surprise. And then this emotional, there was lots of connections with their mm. own backstories and people there. And then they had this big emotional decision where they had to choose who survives and who dies. And I, you know, even like as a third party, not involved in the game, just hearing that I was like, what? That's so good <laughs> because you just, you, you end up with the moral choice. You have all those strong connections. It's, it was a integral part of the story that they got to this big party. It was a big deal. Um, it just had all the elements and I was just even just hearing him talk about it. I was like, tell me more. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I, I guess like, I don't know that I run a lot of hardcore intrigue, like straight intrigue. I guess like I have, intrigue in a number of games because i guess that's like the plot i guess i don't know but i do the only one i can think of is um it was in the um this world that was like a kind of fairy tale based like um like fables and stuff yeah. and the group was uh indulging in a play they're watching it and then um, there was supposed to be like a Romeo and Juliet type murder on the uh, stage. And it really happened. The person actually died. Mm. There's a lot of chaos. And so they had to figure out who was it? Who was the person that killed the other person? They kept trying to go through, kept trying to go through. And they had figured out 
that it was a doppelganger. And so mm. now they have to figure out who in the group is the doppelganger, like which of the uh, people from the uh, troop was the doppelganger. And um, they knew that they were going to kill one more person. And they kept trying to figure out, kept trying to figure out. And they, they finally uh, burst into the room and, or no, they're in the room and they're trying to figure out who's going to, they're protecting her at this point. They can't find out who the doppelganger is, but uh, the door flies open and um, one of the players uh, named Chris, his character bursts in and he goes, he's like pulling ropes off of him in a gag and he's like, watch out. And then they found out that Chris had been like the, and it's kind of confusing, but like, so Chris was playing the doppelganger the whole time without knowing it. So as soon as the real Chris character showed up, the person they've been running with, I just never told anybody, not even Chris, that his character was a doppelganger. He turns and runs to jump and kill the person. That's how combat started. And it was one of those things, I guess they couldn't technically, it'd be very hard to figure out that the person in their party was, but it was a way to get them to learn about this traveling uh, troop and introduce them to a whole other section of the world. Yes. And then they battled the doppelganger and the doppelganger kept trying to like throw them off to the side, duck into a room, shape change. And they had to like find a way to keep him from um, getting out of their sight and shifting and getting lost again. So like that was the big plot twist mm-hmm, is that it was mm-hmm. one of the players that was the doppelganger the whole time. And the doppelgangers of that world can might read minds. So that's why you never messed up. But mm-hmm. I guess that's the closest I've had to a pure intrigue. Like, that's interesting. That's a murder cool one. mystery thing. Yeah. So, and the point wasn't to like trick them and make sure they could never solve it. It was to get, give them a way to meet on an individual level, all of these new characters coming into the campaign. So I ran an actual murder mystery in a fifth edition D and D game that I was running. And the, the campaign was not set up for that. The players were not set up for that. The characters were not set up for that. And that was the whole point is uh, there was, we had a paladin who, uh, you know, kind of like, I think in fifth edition, when you hit third level or fourth level or something, you, you get your, uh, God, it's been so long, like your devotion or something like, like it, 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 there's a level that's a big, jump where you get like a major power and so we use that as the the sort of their someone from their order came to test them and this guy was like a falling down old drunk um and it was torm but so when this guy came to test them the the player was like you know what are we gonna do are we gonna like smash evil we're gonna you know do justice are we gonna do this great thing and he's like, nope, somebody was killed in town. We know who did it. Find them. And they're like, mm-hmm. uh, I'm three solid inches of metal and death. Uh, I don't ask questions. And he's like, yep, that's right. Get out there. And so these people who just, like I said, they, they they didn't like have a rogue. They didn't have a bard. They didn't have a charisma person, an investigative person, anything. And they're trying to go through and solve this mystery. And it was really cool because it was, it wasn't about them succeeding. It was about them doing the best they could 
And that was very interesting role play. Uh, and it's not something that I would run as a campaign or all the time, but for one session, it was really neat. Yeah. And they found the person who is the murderer. They actually found him um, and confronted him. And at the end of it, the their, the guy, the, 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 the person who was testing my paladin was told them not in the moment, but before I want you to bring them to justice. And with Torm, it's like the justice of the area, as long as it's generally good. It's not about Torm has this set of book of laws thing. It's just the concept of justice. And in that area, that meant dragging them in chains, throwing them in a dungeon, setting them for a tribunal, and hanging them high. And they that's not how these guys operate, right? I mean, this is like D&D warriors for good sort of thing. And it was really neat because the guy did not give up. And he is a very close, the characters are very interconnected. They're very close. They're very built around each other. And the guy, sort of when they confronted him, said, ha it's you, isn't it? He lied a little bit, but then he grabbed one of them, the mage, who's like physically weak and all that, put a knife to his throat and is like, all right, I'm getting out of here. You know, taking a step closer, I'm going to kill him. And so they had to deal with a hostage situation. Well, how the hell do you do that in D&D? You just kill people in D&D. <laughs> uh, so they had to like figure that all out. And then when, you know, they, they were able to get the guy away and their friend away and they were able to, you know, fight this guy. And my paladin, you know, was, she's a half orc. She's a half orc warrior of paladin of Torm. So we're not talking a cream puff here. Had this guy who is effectively an elf ranger and just beat his teeth out and then was like, do you yield? And the guy was just kind of spitting up blood. Every other adventuring party would have just been like, all right, justice, kill him. You know, because he is very obviously the murderer, right? It, there was no question. It wasn't trickery on my part. They got the guy. And she said, all right, he's done. I take him in. And, you know, we did the perp walk across town and threw him in the dungeon. And she passed. And they're like, she's like, oh, well, I got the guy and blah, blah, blah. and did I pass? And he's like, yeah, you passed, but passing wasn't getting the guy. Passing is what you did along the way. You didn't kick in doors. You didn't slap people around to question them. You respected people. You were doggedly determined to find this guy. There, there was all this other shit going on, right? This huge plot war. It was a fortress that was being sieged at the moment. You weren't up on the parapets. You were, you were doing justice. And then you found this guy, and then you didn't kill him. You're going to let justice take his course. They're like, you're in. And I it wanted was, the moral of the story to be like, <laughs> did I pass? And it's like, no, the criminal justice system is inherently corrupt. These <laughs> 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 armor shatters. <laughs> well, and that's the thing with Torm, it's not about the outcome. It's about... The, the concept of yeah, justice, yeah. right? <laughs> so if the, if the justices are corrupt, I mean, as long as they're not evil, if the system like fails and this guy's let go, you gotta let him go. I mean, that, that's, that's how that system works. That's their version of justice. Yeah. So um, I think, um, I think you hit on something that actually Gage asked in the 
chats yeah, do you yeah. prefer intrigue to be mechanically driven or solely narrative and chad what you were saying D is for combat like there's the whole thing is yep. set up to fight things um so anything you do intrigue wise you kind of have to patch it yourself and i find that in that system in 5e specifically you don't you kind of just make it up or you you add in uh stakes that can be made mechanical like if you convince five people then you get a plus two on this role later on when you're trying to plead your case or, or whatever it may be um and uh and so I, th- I think that's a very good question i think for me i like to always make some mechanical effects in a game like i try to add a layer of mechanical effects some of them come with cyberpunk red has uh has a whole social combat Thing that uh, you basically operate similar to regular combat. So if you're going to have, you have like a cool rating and you roll a reputation against each other and that kind of thing. Um, so I really like when those are included in games because then, then it's, it's uh, more natural. Yeah. It's already been figured out. It's been tested. It's the optimal way to do it has been figured out. But I, I guess the way I would, quantify my answers i like i want everything to be solvable mechanically but with narrative shortcuts like every Mm. the mechanical aspect should be there in my opinion so that those who cannot solve it because they're not as smart as their professor character can solve it you should i feel myself that you should be able uh to mechanically piece everything together and then once they have all the clues together they should be able to keep using mechanics to solve it just in case they're not a table full of brilliant um post academy wizards but narrative oh good oh uh, well i was gonna say see i'm a little opposite of that i I mean i get what you're saying in fact i like i've I've said before i I game with my wife and she i'm a very bombastic outgoing loud talking person Mm -hmm. uh and she is not. She is. She is very much the opposite. She's. She's shy. She's soft spoken. She's a lot more thoughtful. Really balance each other out that way, and it's great. When she plays in a role playing game, it's not like a Jekyll and Hyde thing. She doesn't suddenly just start, you know, being able to to sell cars and ice to Eskimos. And so when I run a game for with her in it, you know, I, I have to be cognizant of that fact that. You know, if she's trying to talk her way past someone, that that's not in her comfort area. It's not that mm-hmm. she can't. It's just that's not going to be fun for her. It's not in her comfort yeah. area. And But her character might have the skills that relate that. Yeah. Well, I don't want to just say, okay, well, there's there's the bouncer. Uh, give me your spiel. How do you get past them? She'll be like, uh... I don't want to also say, okay, there's the bouncer. You want to get past him? Uh, 2D6. Boom. You got it. You're in. I need more. I will say, well, what's your approach here? You you don't have to script it out. We have to role play it out. But I I want to, are you coming on hard and tough? Are you, you know, being flirty with him? Are you being, you know, are you being sneaky, trying to get in some lies? I need to know this as a game master so that I can give the responses like let's say she said mm-hmm. oh well i'm going to be deceptive in this area um so i'm, I'm going to tell i'm going to say that i'm a vip and you know i'm on the guest list and stuff okay roll for that cool rolls yeah. for it boom crit failure well if i didn't have that 
idea of what her approach would be or be able for her to set the scene for me, I'd be like, okay, you fail. Um, he's angry at you. Yeah. yeah. You know? And I want to clarify, like, I, I'm not saying we don't like, uh, it's okay to not role play it out, but I think mm-hmm. the idea being that like, uh, as long as the mechanical successes are coming in, then I don't mind figure, uh, propping up more mechanical what you're call it, but it's it's always leading towards the group having to figure it out um if they if it ta- if we're going like three four games or something crazy and they just can't figure it out i feel it's important on my end to keep giving them small little incremental mechanical options uh-huh. uh i don't i would rather them not solve the entire campaign <laughs> through d20s yeah but like i've had x number of games where it just they just can't it's like the classic do you give your group a riddle yeah some no, groups never. are just never going to solve that riddle so you keep giving them new, like if they can keep thinking of new ways to approach solving the riddle then you give them more roles and more roles and oh that was a smart way to approach it maybe i give you advantage in D or whatever mm-hmm. and i know that gaming with gauge uh said what's the best way to run an intrigue in savage worlds and then said serious <laughs> no as if that was a joke but legit savage worlds has a great mechanic for that benny. because you can spend a benny yep and in adventure edition you can you can keep you can keep the game going it's Momentum something that i wish dd had yeah mm-hmm. but they mm-hmm. they are just a death machine um you know what i so like you, doing too is when well, let's get let's Go back to our, our murder mystery where, you know, it's like we got this room, the room's been tossed, there's these weird swords on the uh, on the wall that don't mean anything, there's the tipped over scotch, there's the bloody mess, but there's a missing body. And, you know, your character, your players are in there, and he's talked, they're, they're like investigating and such. My group that, that I usually run for, they are great role players, and they are great long-term planners. They're great goal setters, and they are they they're good at understanding their characters' motivations and running with that motivation. They are terrible at the short term plan. They are terrible at opening the door, and there's the scene I described, and there's me in the sort of ethereal game master going, and what do you do? And they they're just like. Ah, what is there to do? So what I've done quite a bit is say okay well let's uh let's let's make some roles here you know it's like oh you know so and so they're good at investigation so and so i'm playing dresden next week i can't wait you know so and so let's open the site let's open the third eye and then they'll see stuff and then you know all this different stuff to be 100 percent honest with you i don't really care what their success or failures are on the roles I really don't. It, it, it's like I could just not even look at them. It's it's to make them excited or interested. Oh man, I didn't get this, but oh, so and so got this. Oh, let's try this, and to get that sort of thing going around the table. And then when that sort of finishes, I go, okay, well, you guys did pretty good. I think you did pretty good. I tell you what, based on your successes, your approaches you're taking, the role playing you did, ask me four questions. Mm-hmm. And I will answer them as honestly as I possibly can. Oh, that's a cool way to do it. And yeah. then they ask me, and then sometimes though that that that, that sticks them right because again they're they're great long term planners and role players, not the greatest short term players. 
And so they, they'll get like one or two and I hear so, Oh, I don't know what to ask. And of course you let them phone a friend. It's like, Oh, what's that? Oh no, ask this, ask this. And so that's all fun, but usually they'll get stuck on the last one or two. Well, that's where your advocating for the player comes in and you know, you're right. Oh man, that was a really good question. And that kind of leads to some other stuff. Cause if you think you asked, you know, why is there no body here? Right. You ask that question. And you're right, there is no body. Where the hell did it go? Maybe. Is there a pattern to the blood and gore? And they're like, pattern to the blood and gore? And I'm like, you know, like, like, like maybe if you drag a, a bleeding body, maybe it like leaves it a trail or something or or maybe if like one of the bookcases opens and it's through some of the blood and that kind of like leaves a mark and they're like oh that is a good question and then let them reframe the question you, you, you even though i very obviously asked the question i needed them to ask me you must let them reframe the question ask it to you and then you reward them with the answer. You don't need a reward. You're the game master. You can go like this and the world ends. Who cares? You need to reward your players all the time. And so you let them reframe, you let them ask, and you let them answer, and you let them have the victory. And that's how I do intrigue scenes and crime scenes and stuff like that. So there's there's something in the chat, um, relative D-pod. Um, has a kind of a two-part comment and mm-hmm. says, uh, one piece of advice I've heard over the years is to present problems for your players, not solutions. Because if you present solutions, you might discount ideas that the players come up with that aren't your solutions. But when it comes to intrigue and mysteries, those situations kind of demand specific answers be in place to certain questions. That makes it very hard for the players just um, for just missed opportunities. So it brings up the question they pose is, would you advise trying to keep the mystery intrigue vague and open ended? Should we try to make clues that could potentially lead to multiple subjects and be willing to change the specifics on the fly? Or do we let the mystery happen and just be willing to allow the PCs not to find out the specifics until it's too late and possibly too late to prevent further tragedy from happening? And I feel like uh, I feel like that's kind of the topic we're dancing around. I think it's really up to the mm-hmm. GM and what's, mm-hmm. what their style is because I feel like all of us have had different – we keep coming back to that idea of like yeah. – what is the best way to approach it? <clears throat> and it really just comes to, I think that if I may, like it seems you can, you can either approach it. Uh, like if you're going to be strict on what the um, path is, you really have to do your players, the service of giving them multiple paths to get there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> or, you can leave it more wide open and there's something very fun and collaborative in that. It seems of like, they feel like, you know, you're giving them a lot of reward for ingenuity and you're also giving them a back and forth and helping them build it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a good summary. I feel like we've kind of yeah. gone back and forth on that. I think that's kind of the central question that we've been talking <clears throat> about throughout the whole thing. You're totally right. And I, I, I hadn't really considered what, um, what they bring up that, could they just fail at the mystery because they got bad rolls because they couldn't um, figure it out. They didn't notice the scotch. So yeah, if you don't like changing things on the fly, how do you plan for that? And, and that takes, I think it could take a lot of planning 
Um, but I think at the end of the day, you should be pretty <coughs> clear if there's a time limit. Like you as characters have to solve this today. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't have to be this session, but like in this game day, you have to solve this. Otherwise, um, you know, the dragon is going to come and burn down the city. And we all know that's going to happen. You have to manage manage this at this point. So I think making the stakes very clear um, because if all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, but we didn't realize we couldn't, we could have gone there. We could have gone here. We didn't see it. Um, so that you can at least, I would also recommend making it a couple sessions long. So you could plan in between as well. Give yourself a little bit of leeway. I mean, you can't, nobody wants to be perfectly rigid when they're DM. Well, I guess some people do, but <laughs> it makes for a pretty, a pretty difficult uh, game. If you're very rigid about everything you do. Can I, th I think as the one that I think is the most rigid, can I throw out the tip that I use? Mm. I create. It, since this is the way I do it, I create stationary and roaming uh, clues. Okay. Like if you, so the way I do it is I don't change things around, but I make sure that there are, there are clues out of the room and in the room as such. So like mm -hmm. I don't put all my clues in one room and I don't put just one clue. I leave ideas and threads in one room, but I also leave like, let's say the guard who saw something weird that night. And they're roaming around and I can have them kind of get where they need to get. It still doesn't change the story, but maybe I know the guard is in the tavern. You know so what let's I mean? say, like, let's say your, your players got 50% of the clues. Mm -hmm. Are they good? Could they figure it out? I, I think so. I hope so. Yeah. Because I, I don't, um, in a game like D and D, I I do insight rolls. Like once yeah. they've tapped investigation, insight lets them get the clues and I do really, really leading questions. And I, I try not to, if especially if I see them slowing down and getting stuck. I I'm a firm believer that if they're getting if they're getting successes, um, I don't need to ask them things with insight. I need to tell them things. Hmm. That way yeah. they're not just going. Like totally. investigation is for them finding things. Insight is when I start hitting them with, so what did they put together? And right. that gives them more clues. It's the difference between like, hey, there's a puzzle piece. And oh, shit, that's a corner piece. Like <laughs> giving yeah, them context yeah. for the clues with insight and stuff like that in D&D. &D. Um, but I like to put like stationary and moving clues. That way, if they give up on something, they can still run into the rest. They don't have to. It's not life or death in the parlor. Yeah. Well, and to the, if you strip all the, the sort of trappings away about, you know, clues and roles and mechanics and story and character motivation, all that sort of stuff, really what you're getting down to is these, the basic elements. You have a story that you want them to get through. You have these beats you need them to hit. You want them to have feel successes. You want them to feel smart. You want them to have victories, but you also want them to have consequence too, because mm -hmm. all, otherwise all that stuff doesn't mean anything. It's right, just yeah. So you have them roll dice or figure things out or talk to people or role play all these different things that we call a game. Ultimately though, they have to get through it at a certain pace. That's the momentum of the game. And that's what you're talking about there, Pedro, too, where it's just like, okay, are you, are they getting it? Have we spent too much time on this? Are they spinning their wheels? The momentum of the game is slowing down. So the rigidness of what 
you the gates as it were that you have the 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 things that they have to do to get the clues that loosens they don't know it but it has to loosen so to get through that to have the momentum to have it keep going you have to loosen those gates you have to give them the clues they have to get to where they're going and that helps if the mystery is still spinning. If the killer keeps yep. killing, that helps a lot. Um, it looks like it's about time to wrap up. Inevitably, Eric will come in here and interrupt us, even though like we're doing great and nobody wants us to stop. And <laughs> I know, right? I don't know. I feel like if we don't answer Jensen Ackles, Ackles versus uh, in Smallville or Supernatural, I don't think we're doing the fans justice. The answer is obviously Supernatural. <laughs> um, there are other questions that are so good. But like the last thing I would throw out there is uh, Gage asked, uh, how do you balance letting go of your prep for the sake of fun and running a a fun and well thought out intrigue? That's Chekhov's gun. That was the scotch in the beginning of the uh, stream. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Go back and watch the stream. (laughs) Drinking until I don't care anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I I guess you have to ask yourself too, is uh, your prep and your story more important than the fun? Mm-hmm. Because then that yes. presupposes no. your story isn't fun, <laughs> <laughs> which is entirely possible. <laughs> Not for my game, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> Not us. We're great. Your prep, no, shit. My prep. <laughs> it's called world building. <laughs> All right, we're about out of time. Um, tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, yeah, so I am Scrim. You can find me on the Shadowcasters Network. I'm going to be playing Leverage for the next four four sessions every other Monday. So, you, uh, so next Monday, uh, not tomorrow, but the next day, if you hop onto the Shadowcasters Network, we will be uh, taking down some bad guys. And you can find me on fairtheboot.com, a tabletop role-playing game about no, a tabletop podcast about role-playing games and a little <laughs> bit more. That's our line. I never have to say <laughs> A game about so. a podcast. A game, game about a podcast. Oh, my what? God. That is literally oh, the worst. That sounds most awesome. boring game ever. <laughs> oh, I can't even imagine. <laughs> I'm going to head to the shop and buy a new microphone. <laughs> uh, and... I'm Pedro, the GM and creator of World Walkers. You can find World Walkers or World Walkers Cog wherever you find your favorite podcasts, uh, except for iHeartRadio, I guess. Um, I don't like I, I don't like my heart radio. Uh, and then, yeah, worldwalkerspodcast.com, you know, social media, just at worldwalkerspod. All right. Well, thank you, Scrim, Chad, and Pedro for hosting this week. Uh, thank you to Jeanne Sasquatch. Uh, those are some awesome questions and comments. Uh, also, Gage had a good uh, question going in there before I guess he had to go potty. Oh, wait a minute. Is it Jeanne Sasquatch? Only spelled mm-hmm. Jeanne Sasquatch? That's amazing. Yeah, I butchered that. I'm very sorry. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, and then, I'll, I'll, as always, uh, Relative Deep Pod comes in strong with uh, a massive question. So, uh, well done there. 